Our reading this evening is on page 970 of the Church Bible, page 970. We'll be reading from two passages. They're just opposite each other, so it's easy. Uh, Matthew 5, verses 15, verses 5 to 15. Beg your pardon. Matthew 6, verses 5 to 15. And Matthew 7, verses 7 to 12, page 970. Starting at Matthew 6, verses 5, verse 5. And when you pray, do not be like the hypocrites, for they love to pray standing in the synagogues and on the street corners to be seen by men. I tell you the truth, they have received their reward in full. But when you pray, go into your room, close the door and pray to your Father who is unseen. Then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not keep on babbling like pagans, for they think they will be heard because of their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. This, then, is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread. Forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then chapter 7, from verse 7. Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who, seek, who asks receives, he who seeks finds, and to him who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you, if his son asks for a bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you, for this sums up the law and the prophets. This is the word of the Lord. Just before we uh, get going, um, if you're here this morning, you'll know that we're starting a four-week uh, series on the issue of topic of prayer. Um, and so I just wanted to plug three books, three books that if you read, you'll know that there's nothing new under the sun. Uh, because everything I've been inspired by and challenged by is probably in one of these three books. Um, so, Tim Keller on prayer. It's a bit of a thick tome, and it might stretch you in places, but very, very helpful book that will really push you to understand uh, what's going on in prayer and why we pray. Uh, you Can Pray is um, it's Mummy Bear. It's a bit, this is Daddy Bear, it's Mummy Bear. It's a bit thinner. It's very, very readable, and looks at some of the difficulties, the challenges that stop us praying. Um, and shows, points us the character and nature of God and shows how that will help us to overcome our struggles in prayer. So I really recommend that one. This is Baby Bear, uh, but don't be deceived by its size. It's small, but it packs a punch. This is a very, very helpful book that thinks about how God is Trinity, which is what we're going to be thinking about the next few weeks, uh, shapes and guides and fuels our prayers. So those books will be available on the, the bookstore over the coming weeks. Do grab one of those and read it alongside this series. 
Well, any sermon series on prayer should probably begin with a prayer, shouldn't it, really? So let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that we can pray to you. And we do just pray that as we think about this issue and this topic that for many of us is a struggle, you might encourage us and challenge us. And uh, we do pray that over these next four weeks, we would end up being those who want to talk to you and pray to you more. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'm not sure if Steve's here this evening, but um, TNG guys, youth guys, uh, he's asked me to pass on a message. And that is after the half-term break, TNG on Friday night, and probably Glick as well, is cancelled. It's going to be replaced by a prayer meeting. Every Friday, prayer meeting. Okay, no fun, no games, just a prayer meeting. How do we feel about that? Are we up for that? No, not convinced we are, are we? No, I mean, be honest, how many of you would be excited about that? Um, I think it's amazing, isn't it, what suddenly becomes urgent and important uh, when the other option is praying. I suspect that many of us can um, identify with C.S. Lewis in his little book, Letters to Malcolm, when he talks about, about prayer like this. Well, let's now at any rate come clean. Prayer is irksome. An excuse to omit it is never unwelcome. When it is over, this casts a feeling of re- or relief and holiday over the rest of the day. We are reluctant to begin. We are delighted to finish. While we are at prayer, but not while we are reading a novel or solving a crossword puzzle, any trifle is enough to distract us. Does that sound familiar? A few nods. Do you know, in all honesty, that's sometimes how I feel about midweek. Uh, I don't often want to go. Uh, I sometimes clock watch or get distracted during midweek. Uh, and though I'm always glad to have gone, I am secretly relieved it's over. <laughs> it's not so secret anymore, is it? <laughs> and I suspect that many of us in the room can resonate with that experience, whether that's in a church prayer meeting or at home when we try to pray individually. And uh, when we think about praying, it doesn't help, doesn't these sermons where you hear about the prayer warriors, the greats of our past. John Stott, apparently, he used to set his alarm at 5 a.m. and to get up and pray for a decent amount of time. And then he'd take a little nap in the afternoon. And one of my friends said he's worked really hard to cultivate one of those habits. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, we, We struggle in prayer, don't we, for all sorts of different reasons. We feel too busy to pray. We always have that list of important of, or urgent stuff that needs our attention. We're the instant generation, aren't we? We can have things instantly, and so we might as well just get on and get stuff rather than pray. Perhaps some of us sometimes feel too unworthy, too sinful to pray. We wonder whether God will accept the prayers of someone like me. Some of us perhaps wonder whether prayer actually makes any difference at all. Perhaps some of us don't know what to say. And perhaps many of us feel embarrassed to pray in public, pray with other people. Or perhaps, if we're really honest, some of us just don't really have any inclination to pray. We just don't really want to. We're not actually that bothered about it. 
there's just a few reasons. I'm sure there's, there's many others. And I guess if you're like me, we've probably at many times in our life tried to improve our prayer life. And, you know, maybe you've set your alarm earlier. You've used an app. You've started a prayer diary. All these really good things, but it's never quite worked. And eventually prayer, again, just disappears or dwindles right down. The thing is, ultimately, what's going to cause us to pray is not apps or diaries, though there's a place for those things. No, what's going to cause us to pray is thinking about the one that we pray to. That will help us to pray. In his, uh, I'm not sure if this is it. In, uh, his book on prayer, Tim Keller says this. He says, the primary theological fact about prayer is this. We address a triune God, and our prayers can only be heard through the distinct work of every person in the Godhead. So what he's saying is that the primary fact about prayer is that we pray to a triune God, Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit. And so over the next three and a bit weeks, that's what we're going to do. We're going to think about how praying to God as Father, Son, and Spirit shapes and fuels and encourages us to pray. But before we get that there, the first thing to say, I think, is this. In prayer, we enjoy communion with the triune God. God the Father, God the Son, God the Spirit have always existed as a fellowship, as a community of divine love. So one God, three persons. They are perfectly united with each other. They perfectly love each other. And they enjoy communion. And by that, I don't mean bread and wine. I mean relationship, community, communion. But the Father, Son, and Spirit have never wanted to keep that love to themselves. The reason they create the world is so that we might share in that loving unity of the Trinity. And in John 17, verses 20 to 23, we see a little snapshot of that in Jesus' prayer for all believers. Jesus says this, I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message, that all of them may be one, Father, just as you are in me and I am in you. May they also be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, I in them, you in me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, Then the world will know that you have sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. Now these are deep, rich, complex truths that we could spend the whole evening unpacking. But Jesus' prayer here is that we share in the unity of the love of the Trinity. Where we are as loved as much by the Father as the Son. Tim Chester in his book, gives this really helpful summary. He says this, Jesus invites us into the shared life, into the community of divine love. That's what Jesus offers us in the gospel. And so prayer is one of the means by which we enjoy that shared life. In prayer, we enjoy communion, relationship with the triune God. In prayer, we enjoy what Jesus, God the Son, has enjoyed for all eternity. Um, Marriage is about sharing life, isn't it? It's about doing life together. 
the bride and groom don't say their vows, go and have a lovely meal, reception with all their friends, and then say cheerio and disappear off to separate houses. You know, send each other the occasional text, how are you doing? I'm fine. That's not what marriage is about, is it? Marriage is a union, and it's a covenant, and you live together. You eat together. You sleep together. You share life together. You see, likewise, prayer with God, prayer to God, is not, um, it's not a chore. It's not something we tick off the to-do list in the morning to ease our guilty conscience, to earn God's blessing for the day. No, 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 no. Prayer is sharing in the divine trinity's love for each other. We enjoy life, shared life with them. And so the question is, how is your prayer life? If that's what it is, if it's sharing in that divine relationship, if it's a relationship, then how is your prayer life? Um, this quote comes with a warning, okay? This quote, for me, I find very sobering. I've used it a number of times. It's by Mike Reeves in his little book on prayer, and he says this. Oh, oh no, it's not there. Oh, that's an anticlimax, isn't it? Let me read it to you. Your prayer life reveals how much you really want communion with God. I stress it absolutely does not tell you about your security as an unrejectable child of God. But it does tell you very accurately how much of a baby you are spiritually, how much of a hypocrite you are, and how much you actually love the Lord. Thus, if your tendency is to think you're rather wonderful, just remember your prayer life. Ouch. See, how is your prayer life? What Mike's saying there is, look, your prayer life doesn't define whether or not you're a Christian, but it is a really accurate sign of how much you love the Lord. Now, if your prayer life is anything like mine, that makes you feel very uneasy. Now, wonderfully, we know in the Gospel, don't we, that there is grace and forgiveness for failed prayers like you and I. So rather than wallowing in the guilt of our failed prayer lives, what we're going to do is we're going to focus on the nature and the character of God's. For as we get to know someone better, this is true of any relationship, isn't it? As we get to know someone better, we grow in love for them. And as a consequence, we want to talk to them. We want to share life with them. And so the first thing we're going to think about tonight is God the Father. We'll do God the Son, God the Spirit in the next couple of weeks. But tonight, God the Father. And the first thing we see about God is that he is the generous Father. And he delights to hear his children. Just look at Matthew 6, verse 9. This is Jesus then saying, this is how you should pray. How does he begin? He says, our Father. You see, there's wonderful forgiveness for the Christian despite our failed prayer lives because we've been adopted into his family. We don't deserve to be there. We've done nothing to earn it. But because of our union with Christ and his death and resurrection... As we said earlier, the Father loves us in the same way he loves the Son. 
He can't love us any more than that. And in a couple of weeks' time, we'll look at the Spirit, and we'll see in Romans 8 that the Spirit of God that dwells in us enables us to cry, Abba, Abba, Father. We are able to know and talk to God as our Abba. Abba is a word that's it's hard to translate in our language. It might be Papa, but it's basically a lot more respect, respectful than Daddy. But it has, uh, sorry, a lot more yeah, respectful, but it also has an informality, a personal sort of element to it, like Daddy. So it's not Father, it's not Daddy, it's somewhere in between. It's Papa, it's Abba. See, when we come to God in prayer, we come to our Abba. As children depending on him for everything, for our daily breads, for our forgiveness of sins, for our help in our battle against temptation. And as children, God the Father delights to hear his children pray. Uh, a friend's sister of mine has five children and adopted two more. And I, I know, don't think about it too much, it blows your mind, doesn't it? <laughs> And um, one of the little girls that was adopted is called Amelia. And um, Amelia's mum posted this picture on Facebook. Anyone tell what that is? No, it's mice. Ah, see it now? Mice, yeah? And in the uh, bottom corner, there's a little A for Amelia. Now, how did Amelia's mum feel about this piece of art, art that Amelia did. Well, she was delighted. She was thrilled. She loved it, so delighted, she posted it on Facebook for her friends to see. The mice aren't particularly accurate, are they? <laughs> That's been generous. They're not particularly well-drawn. They're not neat or tidy. But a mother delights in her daughter's learning and growing in writing and drawing. And it's the same when we pray to our Father God. He delights. He's a generous Father. He delights to hear our prayers. Our words, our words might not be well formed. They might be faltering and stumbled. But he receives them as from beloved children. Children he loves. You know, that precious moment you've either had it yourselves or you know friends who've had that moment where a child utters their first words. What does the father do? He doesn't, you know, as this child blurts out, or dad, he doesn't come back and say, look, son, when you've learned to articulate your words properly, come back and speak to me. <laughs> but until then, you keep your words to yourself. It's not how a father treats a child, is it? No, a parent's heart is full of joy when a child utters, stumbles their way through something that sounds like a word. Now, I know that I suspect many of us in this room have very mixed experiences of fathers, and many of whom far from what they should be, perhaps for some of you, some of you even abusive. But our Heavenly Father is perfect. His love for his children is perfect. And there is great security in his love. And so the father delights, delights to hear the prayers of his children. And the second thing is this. The father delights to give good things to his children. Just look on to Matthew 7. 
In verses 7 to 9, Jesus gives the disciples more instructions about how to, how to pray. Look what he says. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. He who seeks finds. And to him who knocks, the door will be opened. He's saying to the disciples, look, you are to ask God and you're to do so diligently and persistently. God wants them to persevere in prayer. And as, he do, as, as they do, he says, look, I will answer. And as we persist in prayer and wait for God's answers, we're not to doubt his goodness. Verses 9 to 11. Which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give, give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So in everything, do to others what you would have them do to you. For this sums up the law and the prophets. We're coming up to Christmas, aren't we? I should have found out how many more shopping days there are to Christmas. Uh, For Clive and I, it's about how many more shopping days are there till the shopping day, the day before Christmas. That's when we do our shopping. But, you know, as we think about Christmas presents, do you, we just want to give children something nice, don't we? We want to give them a good gift, the best gift. We want to give them something they'll love and enjoy and delight in. Something that they'll treasure. Now Jesus says that if that is true of self-centered, sinful humanity like you and I, how much more does the perfect Father in Heaven long to give good gifts to His children? Long to bless them with good things. The God who loves us, God the Father who loves us in the same way that he loves the Son, longs to bless us with good things. So what does all this mean for our prayer life? Well, God is a general Father, a generous Father, and that gives us great certainty and confidence before God. See, we can be certain that God wants to hear you pray. It doesn't matter if you don't know what to say. You come like a child. Pray as you are. Pray honestly. And we don't need to put on an act or come up with a script. A father delights in the real words of his child, faltering, stumbling. So come as you are. And come with all your failings. You are loved as much as the son. And next week we'll think about um, how we can, how we're able to come in prayer before God as we think about through the Son. But be certain tonight that God wants to hear you pray. He delights to hear your voice. And secondly, be certain that God won't reject your prayers. Tim Chester says in his book, the Father will no more reject our prayers than he will reject the prayers of his own Son. He loves you as much as the Son. And thirdly, we can be certain that God will answer for your good because God longs to give us good things. Now, that doesn't mean that God will always give you what you want. That's very different. But he will answer your prayers for your good. So God is the generous Father. That's the first thing we need to remember. The second thing we need to remember as we come before God in prayer is that he is the holy ruler. 
Just flip back to uh, Matthew chapter 6. Look at verses 9 to 10. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. See, the wonderful thing about the God of the Bible is that he is a generous father. He loves us like his children. And yet, at the same time, he is the father who rules. And therefore, God's people are to pray for the rule of God to be established. You see, in praying, hallowed be your name, we are asking God that his character might be honoured by all. In praying, your kingdom come, we're asking God to establish his rule over all. In praying your will be done, we're asking God to accomplish his plans in all. That's from a book um, by Richard Cokin. You see, to pray the Lord's Prayer is to recognise that God is the Heavenly Father, but also the Holy Ruler, whose rule and kingdom will one day be truly established. The God to whom we pray is the God who created the world with his words, who makes the heavens his beds, who sustains and rules over all things, the one in whom we all live and move and have our being. We pray to a holy ruler. What difference does that make to our praying? Well, firstly, we pray with reverence before God. I wonder um, how many of your prayers go a little bit something like this. Dear loving Father, thank you that you are so good and faithful to me. Lord, I pray for Andy and Katie because they're having a tough time at the moment. Oh, pants. I was supposed to call them. Oh, I'll do it later. No, I can't. I'm meeting Dave. Anyway, Lord, please be with them. Please be close to them. Oh, I've got a text. I wonder who that's from. Interesting. I'll reply to Matt in a minute. So, Lord, hang on. What was I praying about? Ah, yes, Andy and Katie. Yeah, Lord, please be with them. And Lord, please also be close to... Oh, is that the time? Oh, I've got to put the washing out. The sun's out. I'll go and do that now. I'll finish the prayer later. Now, that's an exaggeration, isn't it? Or maybe it's not. (laughs) But we're so easily distracted by, in C.S. Lewis' words, any trifle when we're praying. Now, being a child of God means that there is a right sense in that we can approach God confidently as his children, knowing that he delights to hear from us. We approach with our faltering, inadequate words. But at the same time, when we pray, we should remember we are speaking to the Holy One who rules over the world. What we are saying should reflect who we're talking to. I'm sure you good folk of St. Mary's have um, never had the pleasure of meeting one of Her Majesty's policemen after being pulled out, pulled over for speeding. Um, certainly sure that's never happened to any of the ministers here. <laughs> However, just imagine hypothetically you had that experience, purely hypothetically, um, I wonder how you address the officer. I suspect you dress said officer differently than you would a sibling or a mate or a parent. Their status 
demands that you show some sort of respect, again, apparently. Now, as we approach God, as his children, we're able to do so with confidence, delight, knowing that he delights to hear our prayers. But we should respect who he is. We should respect his holiness and rule. And pray with reverence. What does that look like? Well, I guess it means praying by engaging our brains. We don't switch off our brains when we come to pray. We engage them. Setting time aside, removing distractions so that we can give ourselves the task of prayer. So come before God. He is our generous Father, but he's the holy ruler. Secondly, we can pray with confidence in God. I wonder sometimes as we think about prayer, we don't pray because if we're honest, deep down, they would never say this, we wonder, is there really any point? As we look at the state of the world or perhaps some of the massive situations that we're facing in our own lives, we wonder whether prayer will actually make any difference. Perhaps some of you have been praying to God for years and years and years about something massive and you've never felt that God has answered your prayer. And that can be incredibly painful. And actually we'll think about our prayers in that situation in um, the fourth of these sermons. But the Lord's Prayer and our passage in Matthew 7 reminds us that not only does God delight in answering our prayers, he is able to do so. For he really does rule. There is no prayer that God cannot answer. There really is nothing that is outside of his control and his rule. And so we can trust that even as we pray seemingly impossible prayers, humanly, God is able to answer. Let me finish this evening with this. Calvin describes the prayer as the chief exercise of faith chief exercise of faith. What do they mean by that? Well, I think what it means is that prayer is the primary way that true faith expresses itself. Our prayer life reflects our faith, and that's what Mike Reeves is sort of saying at the beginning. Prayer is the chief exercise of faith because, well, honestly, it reveals how much we are dependent on ourselves and not God. And it reveals how much we recognise that God is sovereign, not us. See, honestly, if we don't pray, it's because arrogantly we don't think we need God's help. We think we're okay without him. And that's pride. That was Adam and Eve's problem. See, prayer is the chief exercise of faith because it is nothing more and nothing less than a child asking their father for help. And the Lord's Prayer, all the way through, is a prayer of dependence. It is a prayer that looks to God's fatherly care and God's rule for all things because it recognises that all things come from him. So look, prayer for many of us is a struggle. 
And it's not just going to change overnight, but one of the things that can help us is if we remember the character and nature of the one we are talking to. And tonight we've seen that God the Father is a generous Father and a holy ruler. And a God who delights in hearing your prayers. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you this evening that we can call you Father. Thank you that if we are Christians here, we've been adopted as your children. And we know communion with you, Father, Son, and Spirit. Father, thank you for the privilege of that relationship. Thank you for the privilege of talking to you in prayer. And we come to you as faltering, stumbling, weak prayers, whose hearts are often cold towards you. And so we pray, loving Father, generous Father, holy ruler, that you would give us a fresh understanding of who you are and what you're like, so that we might long to come and bring our needs before you, recognizing our dependence on you. And we pray this in your precious Son's name. Amen.